My name is Jeff, and I'm the uh, senior pastor here. And I'm going to be sharing with you uh, from Philippians, our study that we've been looking at these uh, Sunday mornings. Um, And I'm going to read to you a passage uh, from the book of Philippians. Uh, If you never know whether those four letters of Paul remember, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if you're never quite sure where to find it, there's a... You can remember that by General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or you can remember it by Gentiles Eat Pork Chops. Either of those uh, will tell you where to find Philippians in those four letters. Um, and we're reading from uh, Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Um, so whatever happens... This is Paul writing to the believers in Philippi. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Um, Paul as we've been reflecting these last few weeks, is in a place of imprisonment. He's in chains. He's in probably in Rome. And he's writing to these Philippine believers. He has said that he is really entrusting them to God and that he's praying. The the letter that he writes to them is infused with prayer. So he starts his prayer, finishes his prayer. He he, uh, advocates prayer throughout this letter. And he and he, he, he says to them, I'm sending um, your friend, my friend, Epaphroditus, I'm sending him to you with this letter. And I, I want you to know, we looked at last week, I want you to know, I don't want you to worry about me because I want you to know that what's happened to me is really advancing the gospel and um, that the whole of the Praetorian Guard, the, the whole of uh, this palace guard that are guard, taking turns to, to guard Paul have heard of the gospel, and because of my chains, Paul says also, um, the other believers in Philippi have been emboldened to preach the gospel more faithfully and and with more boldness and with more strength, Um, and so Paul is encouraging them, really, in, in accepting the fact that even through trying circumstances and through difficult times that his purposes are advancing, God's purposes are advancing And what I read as I read this letter is Paul's fixation on the gospel, his fixation on Jesus. We've said that over 60 times he mentions Jesus or the pronoun for Jesus. This is a very Christ-centric, Christo-centric letter that Paul is writing, and he's fixated on the gospel going forward. And that gives him a deep sense of joy because, as we heard last week, he said, whatever happens to me, He said, if I live or if I die, I've got to go to this trial, and I don't know what the outcome will be, but whatever happens to me, if I live, then uh, Christ 
And if I die, then that's gain. He said, I, I have a win-win situation because ultimately for me to live is Christ and to die is to be with Christ. And so you can take away my liberty. You can take away my life. You can take away my books. You can take away everything, but you can't take away Christ from me. And so there's a deep artesian well of joy that flows through this letter because even though Paul's circumstances are very challenging, he has an ultimate trust in Christ and in Christ's purposes. And then he says, I know that what's happening here to me, it will ultimately turn out to my salvation, to my deliverance, soteria. It will, it will turn out okay. And we said, all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well, to quote Julian of Norwich. Um, uh, as Paul says, I know that through your prayers, as you pray for me, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, all will turn out well. So there is this great confidence in Paul as he writes this letter. And his letter is, um, is effusive with joy. Um, joy pervades this letter. And it's a, great, it's a great encouragement to us who are facing difficult circumstances that we can still have joy in our lives. We can still trust in Jesus Christ in and through the storm that we've been singing about this morning. So in this little passage that I've read to you this morning, uh, I want to consider four things that Paul is saying because he's saying, I want you to be encouraged on my behalf. And now, Philippians, I want to, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to live worthy of this gospel that I am defending and in chains for and writing to you about. I want you to uh, stand firm uh, in this fight that you are facing, in the persecutions that you are encountering, which the early Christians very much did, I want you to fight the good fight of faith, and I want you not to be afraid. Don't be afraid by those who oppose you, Paul says. Uh, you are experiencing opposition, but I don't want you to be afraid. So the first thing that Paul uh, tells them to do, or challenges, challenges, challenges them to do, is whatever happens, verse 27 of chapter 1 of Philippians, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live worthy of this gospel that we are preaching, of Christ. Live worthy of the gospel. The Greek uh, says, only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. Um, walk as people who are worthy. Of, live as citizens who are worthy of this gospel that I am talking about. Now, this was a Roman colony. Philippi was a Roman colony. So the, the, um, the Philippians had something that was very coveted in Paul's day, which was Roman citizenship. Uh, they, they were citizens of Rome, and that brought with it great privileges and uh, a, a lot of honors. People paid a great amount of money to become Roman citizens, and, and that it carried with it certain protections and certain rights. So we remember the time that Paul was whipped and um, beaten up because, uh, because of uh, unrest. And he said, did you know? <laughs> did you know that I'm a Roman citizen? Uh, you, can't just, you can't just do anything to me. I, I have certain rights. And there were, so so he, he's saying to them, you're citizens of Rome, but actually you're citizens of somewhere else as well. Um, so this, this week, my, my daughter Beth and, and my wife Jenny, they flew to the States uh, because Beth was trying to apply for dual citizenship. Uh, she has a, a British father, away, away for the British flag, and she has an American mother. And um, let's forget that bit. Um, <laughs> so, um, but, but Beth and uh, 
plans and things she wants to do. She wanted to become a US citizen. She wanted to have dual citizenship. So they flew over and they, and they took interviews and they filled out paperwork and, um, and all of that. And on Wednesday of this week, Beth had to pledge allegiance to the US flag and uh, get her little uh, American flag. And she became, in that moment, she became a US citizen as well. So she is now... Um, a U.S. citizen uh, with a U.S. passport and a British citizen. She's got dual citizenship. Now, we all know which is the most important of those two. Um, <laughs> and um, I couldn't possibly comment. Um, but Paul says, you, you, you are dual citizens to these Philippians. He's, he's saying, uh, you are citizens of Rome. But then in chapter 3, verse 20 of Philippians, he says, but your, our citizenship is in heaven he, he says, and we eagerly await a savior from there, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He's saying you, you are citizens of Rome and that's great and it's important and it's not without its privileges and, and Beth has got with her US citizenship, she's got certain privileges and certain responsibilities. Now she could be called up to to fight for the USA um, and, and other responsibilities as well as certain rights. But Paul says, yeah, you, are, you have rights as a Roman citizen, but I want you to live worthy of your citizenship of heaven. I want you to live worthy as citizens and so of the gospel. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Live worthy. Now, there's a, there's a word in here that we've looked at before um, when we were looking at the book of Ephesians, it's the same construction that, that we find in Ephesians chapter 4. It's, it's the Greek word axios, so live worthy of the gospel. Uh, live a life axios, live a life that is axios of the calling you have received, of the citizenship that you have. Axios is a, is a word with a picture in it. Um, the Greek word axios functions as a metaphor. It's um, an axios is a set of balancing scales. I mentioned this before. So the, the kind of scales uh, found with a crossbeam uh, balanced on a post with pans suspended from each end of the, of the beam. And you place a lead weight in, in one uh, side of one pound and, and then measure out flour into the other pan until they are in balance, until they are axios. Um, and so the two items, the, the lead and the flour, they have to... They have to be axios. They have to be worthy of each other. They have to be in balance with each other. And the, the items balanced in the Philippian scales are, are the gospel on one side of the scales. And Paul says, I, I want you to live uh, in a way that is, is worthy. <laughs> it's axios. It's in balance with what Christ has done for you, what the, the gospel that you've been preached, the citizenship of heaven that you have, the privileges of faith that you live with. I want you to live in, the, in balance with that. I want you to live axios, live worthy of the citizenship and the, the gospel that you have received. Uh, so these various characters that have come to Christ that we highlighted in the last couple of weeks, Lydia, the businesswoman, the, the prison guard who... who and his household who came to faith, and the slave girl who was delivered from demonic oppression, and many others in Philippi that had encountered Jesus Christ and the miraculous gospel that Paul and Kate were reminding us of this morning, that people coming to faith in Christ. And, and we, many of us, have received and, and heard this gospel and had it transform our lives. And, and Paul said, I want, I want you, 
uh, Philippian believers, I want you to live worthy, live in balance with this gospel of Jesus Christ. Love so amazing, we sing it, don't we? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing on this side of the scale. What Christ did for us, what Christ died for us. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my, my life, my soul, my, my all. For them to live lives worthy of the gospel is, is necessary, first of all, that they stand firm in the face of attacks made upon that gospel. This was a great reality for them as believers. This was not theory. This was something that they were living in the reality of. So the second challenge that Paul gives them is, first of all, live worthy. But second of all, stand firm. Stand firm. And the, and the Greek is uh, stakete. And, it, and, and uh, he says here, doesn't he, Paul, um, in verse 27, what happen, whatever happens, conduct yourselves, uh, live worthy in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come, whether I'm able to come and see you, I might be able to visit you, I might not, or whether I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Stand firm in the Lord, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, therefore my brother's you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And whether I can come to you or I can't come to you, whether this trial goes one way or the other, whether I'm allowed to come back to Philippi or not, I will know that you stand firm in the Lord. Paul writes to the Ephesians as well. This is a bit of a theme with Paul. He says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your guard. And, and after you have done everything else, that you'll be able to stand and stand firm. Uh, we, we've given the, this illustration before, um, and I apologize for the repetition, but the, the, the Bridge of Spies, the film with Tim, Tom, Tom Hanks in it, um, based on a true story uh, of, a, of a U.S. lawyer called Donovan who was called in to negotiate for the release of, of, a, of a U.S spy and an exchange, a U.S. and a Russian spy, and they would meet on the bridge and the exchange would take place. And, and Donovan was this U.S. lawyer who was called in to go kind of behind the scenes and, and carry out the diplomacy and represent this Russian spy as well in the U.S. court system. And they're having a conversation in one of the scenes of this movie with Tom Hanks. And Donovan, this, this U.S. lawyer, is speaking to this Russian spy called Abel, and he, um, he refuses this, this lawyer when he's really up against it. He's up against the U.S. system, and he's, up, he's being vilified because he's associating with this Russian spy and, and seeming to defend him in the, in the court system, but basically doing his job as a lawyer. And he refuses to give in to discouragement as he speaks to Abel, the, the Russian. And the Russian, who sits there pan-faced, as he's, as he's being interrogated and talked to by this lawyer, says to him, he says, you remind me of a man who visited our house when I was a child. And my father said to watch him closely, but he never did anything remarkable until one day our house was surrounded by border guards and they beat my father and they beat my mother and they beat this man. And each time they beat him, he stood up again. 
and they beat him harder. And each time he got back on his feet. And I think of because of this, they stopped beating him and they let him live. And we called him the standing man. We called him the standing man because he stood. He took the beating and he stood again and he stood again. And there's a picture of really what Paul is saying to these believers, I guess with the imagery of our fallen trees this morning as well, is to stand again. Stand firm, he says. And after you've done everything else, stand and stand and stand and, and, and just sometimes that's all you can do, stand firm. But that's the challenge of Paul to these believers against this maelstrom of opposition that they're experiencing, whatever that might have been, and the, and the, the persecution and the difficulties, and, and even the discouragement at their, their leader, their apostle, their church-planting pastor who's now in prison. They're facing real threats. Standing firm, says Alec Mocha, under attack, while it requires stern resolution on the part of every individual, is a is a corporate matter, something we do together. Um, it's, an actua- it's an activity of the fellowship. Uh, steadfastness requires your unity of spirit and soul, your cooperative battling for the faith that you hold in common. Because what Paul is saying here is saying stand firm, but he, he says, I want you to do that as one man for the faith of the gospel. I want you to do it together. I want you to stand together, collectively, corporately, The household which is divided against itself cannot stand. So we have to stand firm together, uh, sometimes in difficult times or in in face of opposition or in the face of challenge. Uh, Moses Silver said, the struggles of the Christian citizen must be faced within the fellowship of the believing community. It's not that we stand on our own, but we stand together. We sing that song, don't we, from... Godfrey Bertel, stand and I will stand with you. <laughs> stand and I will stand with you. Uh, we stand and we contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. For Christians, the most significant number in approaching persecution is the number one. And one is no mere number or statistic. It is a state of being. We are one because Jesus has determined that we are one. On the eve of his greatest trial, Jesus, what was his prayer? What was his supplication? What was he asking his father for? He said, Lord, Father, make them one (laughs) as we are one. He knew what was coming down the line. He knew that the cross was coming. He knew that persecution was coming. The, 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 The kind of dispersion of the apostles, uh, the, the persecution of the church. And he knew that to, to withstand the devil's onslaught, to, to withstand the devil trying to throttle the church at birth, they would have to be one. They would have to contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. When Peter was imprisoned, or Paul was beheaded, or James was uh, killed, or Peter was crucified upside down, when they faced uh, the lions, and they faced the persecution, when the churches were shut down, when they had to contend together as one, and that was Jesus' prayer. This statistic was the, the one of the gospel, the oneness of the, the believers in the face of persecution, and that's where the, the standing firm comes, the importance of one. I was reminded of a video clip I saw 
of the army captain, Sarah Cudd, who was five feet from failure. She was at the end of a 12-mile test march when she started to lose her strength. Her legs went from underneath her. The pack on her back was too heavy. She was training uh, for her expert field medical badge at Fort Dix. And we see in this clip, we see her fellow soldiers cheering her on, shouting her on, uh, telling her to keep going, to make it to the line, the togetherness of the gospel, the contending as one man. We're going to watch this little clip that uh, hopefully is on our system and uh, just kind of illustrates the point I'm making of the, of the oneness of standing firm. Come on, get up. Just kind of a visual of, of what I think Paul here is saying. It's not that we stand on our own, but that we contend as one man for the, for the faith of the gospel. Stand firm, he says, in the face of opposition. Stand firm together. Doesn't the Bible command us that we should spur one another on? <laughs> that we should comfort one another? That we should help one another? cheer one another on and there are times in all of our lives where like that soldier our legs have gone <laughs> our strength is dissipated we feel we can't go another inch and then people gather around us and they say come on get up <laughs> keep going keep going you're nearly there you're nearly there keep running keep fighting keep standing be the standing man be the standing woman stand firm Paul says and after you've done everything else stand Stand firm. The third thing that he says to them in this little kind of encouragement from his prison cell, he says, fight the good fight. He says, um, you know, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. And then he says in verses 29 to 30, he says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Look at some of these words that Paul uses. Suffer, struggle, fight, contend. You get the kind of the, the, kind of the, the feeling of what Paul is saying. Paul says, he also says something really interesting here. He says it has been granted to you. You have been given grace to suffer for Christ. It's the same grace that you've been given to have salvation and to believe in Jesus, but it has been granted to you. Grace has been given to you to suffer on behalf of, of Christ. You know, Christians find it difficult enough sometimes 
to accept the inevitability of suffering. We feel we're making spiritual progress if we resign ourselves to the fact that grief cannot be avoided at times. But we are challenged further here in Paul's writing to understand that our afflictions, our suffering, is not merely inevitable, but it is a manifestation of God's gracious dealings with us at times in our lives. And Paul tells the um, believers in Asia Minor uh, that the struggles and the tribulations are necessary to enter the kingdom of God. And later in his letter, he writes to them in, in Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, he says, I want to know, I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings, um, because like, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. It, it seems that sometimes in, in certain markets, uh, in some societies, Christianity is peddled as a feel-good Wealth, health, and prosperity solution to all life's problems. There are certain places where you will hear that, yeah, if you become a Christian, then it's all good, and it will all be good, and, and it's kind of a wealthy, healthy, feel-good kind of gospel that is preached. It reminds me a little bit of Oprah Winfrey, or Gwyneth Paltrow, or Holly Willoughby, a kind of a feel-good kind of wellness message, a kind of spirituality light, a kind of a message of the gospel that says if you become a Christian or if you follow Jesus, you won't suffer. In fact, you'll be wealthy and you'll be healthy and it will all go good with you. And if you're not, then you're doing something wrong. You don't have enough faith or you're allowing negativity into your life. It appears that as Christians, we sometimes feel that an easy and comfortable life is the highest good, the greatest aspiration, the best possible outcome. But this doesn't allow us for a theology of suffering. It doesn't allow for what Paul is writing here, that it has been graciously given to you, it has been granted to you to suffer on Christ's behalf. To the Philippians, we are, Paul says, we are in a fight. We are in a struggle. We are in a spiritual battle. We should not be surprised by trouble. We should not be surprised by struggles or by wrestling or contending or feeling like we want to give up or feeling pain or opposition or persecution or cultural exclusion or suffering. We should not expect the easy life, Paul says. And you read his letter and you read things like contend and fight and struggle and suffer. And they're all in there because Paul recognizes that we are facing in opposition the enemy of our souls. So Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says we are hard pressed on every side. That's not the easy life, is it? <laughs> but we are not crushed. We are, we are perplexed. We don't know what's going on sometimes. I don't know what's happening to me. We're perplexed. But we're not in despair. We are persecuted, Paul says. But we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our body also. For we who are alive are also being given over to death 
for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is, is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Light and momentary troubles for an eternal weight of glory. Remember Paul's fixation on the glory of God? He said, whatever happens, I want Christ to be glorified in me, in my body. I want Christ to be glorified. And, and even these sufferings and these hardships, they're just light and momentary compared with the eternal weight of glory that awaits us on the other side. And Paul's description of life to me and faith is, is not easy street. It's not the healthy, wealthy gospel that some places seem to preach these days. Uh, it's not the Oprah Winfreyization of Christianity. It's like we are pressed, we are crushed, we are persecuted, we are perplexed. Uh, Paul said, I, I, at times I despair of life itself. I just feel like giving up. It just is so tough. I just, I'd rather lie down and die. It's kind of the Elijah syndrome. God, just let me die. It's, it's the toughness of, of these moments. And, it, and it's Paul encouraging them to fight the good fight of the faith and, uh, and, to, and to have that eternal perspective. Um, and so it's, it's, these words are also echoed, echoed by, by Peter, who who says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And, and he says, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. So, so Pete, Paul is saying, um, he's saying, uh, I want you to fight the good fight. I want you to stand firm. I want you to live worthy. Finally, what Paul is saying in all of this, as he's encouraging them in this kind of battle royale, he's saying, I, I don't want you to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, he says in verse 28, he says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Um, don't be afraid in any way by those that oppose you. Um, in chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, Paul says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And in writing to the Thessalonians, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, we had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. So we, uh, as we read in the, in the Acts of the Apostles, we read of some of the opposition that Paul faced in Philippi. And some of those opponents, no doubt, are still around and, and opposing the church and threatening them. And I guess one of the great ways that Satan works is through, through fear and through intimidation, the threat of what could be, the threat of uh, what he's going to do or what someone is going to do to us. 
And Paul says, I don't want you to be afraid in any way by those that oppose you. The conflict that the Philippians are experiencing should be a reminder to us that we are part of a greater conflict between God and the Prince of Darkness. And if God is with them, then who can be against them? And if God is with us, then who can be against us? They are not to be intimidated. They are not to be... The image there, I remember preaching on this many, many years ago, probably as a teenager, but the image that is given in this, in this moment of, of Paul is of a horse rearing up on its hind legs, not being intimidated, frightened, scared in any way by those that oppose you. Paul paints this picture of a, of a, of a, a frightened horse that rears up and rears back. Um, we are not to be surprised, Jesus says, that it would be like this. We are not to be afraid or intimidated when things come against us or the gospel. Because in the end, Paul says, the gospel wins. In the end, Christ wins. In the end, the gospel will be advanced. The enemies of the gospel, Paul says, will be destroyed. And those that stand up for the gospel will be saved. Only, he says, be strong and courageous. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. And this is Paul's rallying cry. And I guess sometimes we don't invite someone to Alpha because we think it might be a bit embarrassing or they might say no to us or it might be a bit uncomfortable or or sometimes we don't open our mouth and say about our faith in the workplace or stand up for Christ and the 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 challenge comes to us uh, in this letter that we are we are to live worthy of the gospel (laughs) axios we're to live worthy of everything that God has done for us and and to live in balance with that, we are to, to stand firm, to be that standing man, that standing woman. And if we get knocked down, <laughs> like those Scottish singers, we get up again. <laughs> and, uh, and we will get up again and again and again. We'd be that standing person to stand firm. And after you've done everything else, to stand firm, to fight the good fight. But remember that we contend together. We stand firm together. We fight together, shoulder to shoulder, the phalanx of soldiers as they would hold their shields side by side and at the front and at the top as they would advance against the citadel or whatever they were attacking. As things rained down on them, they would protect each other and they would fight together as one man for the gospel. So the challenge is appalled to us in this letter to live worthy, to stand firm, to fight the good fight and not to be afraid. And to have a strong theology of suffering. And if you, like Paul, are perplexed, why is this happening to me? Why are we going through this? To know that God is on your side. And as we said last week, all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. I'm going to pray for you uh, this morning and ask God to help you as you stand. I'll read these verses again. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, 
without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Father, we thank you that you have called us and you have saved us through this amazing gospel and that you have granted salvation to us. Thank you, God, also through sometimes the struggles and the fights and the difficulties that, God, you have given us the grace for that also. And so I guess we pray the same prayer that Paul prayed. I I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. And Lord, I pray that as we stand together, as we contend together for this amazing gospel, Lord, as we sometimes fight together, as we encourage one another, the the person that is tired, that is on their knees again, Lord, that we would uh, encourage and and spur one another on, Lord, to share this amazing gospel that we represent and to live worthy of our heavenly citizenship. Father, we pray this. And we pray also what we prayed last week, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to do these things and to live out these truths. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.